Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you all for joining us today. Appreciate you coming in. Robert, thanks for grabbing the door. Gene, thanks for grabbing the door. Get everything uh, squared away. We, uh, I think if if you need coffee, we've got some here in the kitchen, or I can just promise to be extra exciting this morning to make up for that caffeine fix. Yeah. Option A. Option A. Option A. Yeah. Don't don't blame me there. Don't blame you. Well, appreciate y'all tuning in today. We are rolling along with our series, exploring our strange Bible. And uh, today, I'm going to, after, after we pray, I'm going to start us off with a doozy of a quote, and we'll, we'll see what you think about it, um, and that will help us launch into our, uh, into our study for today. But let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, dig right into all this. Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, for another uh, beautiful, sunny Sunday morning. We're thankful, Father, for this time to gather together with our brothers and sisters. Lord, we ask that you will uh, speak to us through our uh, through the sermons and classes and and things that we uh, things that we have going on here at church. God, we ask that you will continually draw us closer to you. Lord, with all the changes that are happening here at church, we uh, we fervently, earnestly plead that you will reveal your will to us. Help us find the right folks. May we be a blessing to them, and may they be a blessing to us as well. God, we also ask for the Adams and the Campbells as they go through these times of transition as well. May we send them off well, and may they always know that they have brothers and sisters down here in Corpus Christi. Thank you, Father, most especially for your son, May you continue to mold us and shape us into his likeness as you fill us with your Holy Spirit. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All righty. Well, so we, like I said, we're continuing our class exploring our strange Bible. The last few weeks we have looked at some things. Uh, we've looked at uh, last week, remember, we looked at inspiration. The two weeks before that we looked at the canon, how we got the Old and New Testaments. Today, we're going to talk about one that I don't think is very controversial for us, but some people do have controversial opinions about it. And so I want to, I want to start off with this quote. If you know anything about this institution, you probably know the direction that this quote is going to go. This is from Union Seminary in New York City. Okay, Union Seminary in New York City. This is a tweet from theirs. September 6, 2018, so just a couple of years ago, this is Union Seminary in New York City. They tweeted, while divinely inspired, we deny the Bible is inerrant or infallible. It was written by men over centuries and thus reflects both God's truth and human sin and prejudice. We affirm that biblical scholarship and critical theory Help us discern which messages are God's. Let me read that again. If it sounds kind of gross, you heard it correctly. Let me read that again. This is Union Seminary in New York City. They're a big seminary, I guess. 
while divinely inspired, we deny the Bible is inerrant or infallible. Again, this is not me. This is somebody else. We deny the Bible is inerrant or infallible. It was written by men over centuries and thus reflects both God's truth and human sin and prejudice. We affirm that biblical scholarship and critical theory help us discern which messages are God's. <laughs> I'm sorry. If, if you're not going to laugh, then you should probably cry. It's gross. Okay, let's, let's hear it. Let's get it out. What do you think about this? Let's hear it. What do you think about this? That's almost poetic, Gene. I like that. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't say it. No kidding, right? Mike said something about arrogance. Mike, you want to speak well, into that a little bit? Arrogance, arrogance, they can decide yes. what is God's will. So why can't someone else make that same decision? They have critical thinking, whatever that means. Yeah, we'll, we'll dig into yeah. what critical theory is critical here in just a second. Of, yeah, critical. That's, yeah. Dietrich Bonhoeff went there. Surprisingly, so he yeah. He hero. Right, yeah. Faith, but that was a long time, long time ago. A lot of these seminaries have gone, you know, yeah. have drifted from faith. Yep. I think it's a lot more prevalent than you, that mindset that the Bible is not necessary. I mean, they say the divine word of God, but just recently someone that I know on Facebook who is a Christian was put out there that they don't believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Yeah. So I think it's a more prevalent yeah. thought than what we think. Right. Well, I think it's a lot more prevalent in churches. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Carrying along the same thought, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's not even uh, just. Uh, it's not even just reserved for yeah. stuffy academics. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I could easily fall into that category because <laughs> I was in graduate and postgraduate school for a very long time. <laughs> but right, yeah, it's, it's not. It trickles down. Robert. First Corinthians chapter eleven. Yeah. For those who so, are interested so in where that is, yeah. You know, there, there has, that has always been the case. Yeah. Fortunately, while we have a perfect church, we have imperfect people <laughs> who are part of that. Churches will always be a Yeah. One of the things. All right. So here's here's what I here's something I want to dig into just a little bit as we kind of look at this. All right. So they it, it's very clear what they deny, right? <laughs> And again, I'll read this one more time quickly. This is Union Seminary in New York City. 
While divinely inspired, we deny the Bible is inerrant or infallible. It was written by men over centuries and thus reflects both God's truth and human sin and prejudice. We affirm that biblical scholarship and critical theory help us discern which messages are God's. Basically, what this seminary in, uh, in New York City is claiming is that we are able to determine the good stuff and we can cut, therefore cut out the bad stuff. And wouldn't you know, the good stuff happens to fall right along the lines of their social, political, and religious biases. <laughs> Is anybody surprised? No. This is like the old Russian saying, the best way to hide a lie is to wrap it between two truths. Hmm. There's some really sneaky stuff in here. I really quickly, I want to just, just mention this. This is not something for us to discuss because we could spend all day discussing this. And honestly, this, that what I'm about to talk about briefly is kind of boring. It's not the good stuff that I want to get to today. All right, they mentioned biblical scholarship. All right, that's good stuff. But they also mentioned critical theory. If you don't know what critical theory is, don't go hunting for the, on the Internet for it. Take the 10 peso version, hear what I'm going to tell you, and then if you need some other help, we can find some resources that aren't going to bore you to death or make you weep for the soul of humanity. Critical theory in a nutshell is this. It's, it, it's usually an academic exercise that trickles down into popular culture. Some of you might have heard the phrase critical race theory. Okay, again, that is a manifestation of critical theory. Critical theory in a nutshell is this. It's any critical approach that looks at societies and cultures, institutions, and assesses and challenges power structures in those cultures, societies, or institutions. All right, so the idea is this. Uh, you've heard of critical race theory. The nutshell version of that is uh, where, where, white, where white people are dominant, critical race theory points that out and then seeks to undermine that in order to achieve a more equitable kind of society. Critical theory is uh, more broad than that. But the idea is this. If you claim to have kind of a corner on truth, that is a play for power over others. And the play for power over others. This, Randall, if you can give me this in just a nutshell. Um, and so critical theory basically is how, how can we read the Bible and ask these kinds of questions? What's at stake and who keeps the power? And then we can begin to undermine that. Right? Scripture talks about you know, men can do certain kinds of things and Paul mentions that women shouldn't do other kinds of things. Well, critical theory would look at that and say, this is an example of patriarchy. We, therefore, need to undermine that and reject that. Instead of actually understanding what Paul is trying to do in his context, that's an example of all that. So, oh, gosh, it's so boring. It's, it's, it really is. It really is because it's so predictable. All right. What does it say about somebody who believes the divine parts of Scripture are only the parts that agree with their biases? How so? Because when they took the fruit, they wanted to choose what was good and what was evil. Mm. So that's basically what they're doing. Again, they're saying, this is what's good, this is what's evil. 
we're choosing instead of letting God tell us. Maybe they have made God in their own image. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they've made God in their own image. Thomas Jefferson did something similar. Remove some of the miracles. Randall, I appreciate your patience. Yes. Speak, <laughs> speak freely. <laughs> Yeah, the it terrible is, irony, right? Nature abhors a vacuum. And yeah, David, yes, sir. Yes. Always. Right. And and so it is so for us to look at it or people to talk about it as this is a way to make things better, it's kind of an oxymoron because really they're saying like you said, patriarchy has to be torn down or 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 policing has to be reformed. You know, what however they're using it. Or vague notions of white supremacy. Yeah, gender, white supremacy or uh, race theory, all of these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Rich. Kind of like the statement I heard once that those of you who think you are perfect really ignore those of us who are. (laughs) (laughs) And that'll preach. (laughs) All right. The irony is that they would they would say there is no absolute truth. If you were to ask them, is that absolutely true? <laughs> what would happen? Okay, all right. As, as fun as it is to pick on these misguided souls, we do need to move on. What's the opposite approach? What is an opposite approach to Scripture's authority? What about this one? How many of you, just show of hands, I don't ask if, if this is where you are, but show of hands, how many of you have heard this before? The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. <laughs> show of hands, anybody? Okay, let me ask. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Is that a good way to read the Bible? Nope. Hearing more people say no than I thought. I think the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. It's not a very nuanced or careful way of reading scripture. So here's a couple of takes on this. Again, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Positively, when people say that, I take them to mean, yes, they take the Bible's authority seriously. Is that fair? We, we could all agree with that. Yes, take the Bible's authority seriously. I'm on board with that. On the other hand, though, The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, could be, could be dangerously naive if you push it too far. And that's the problem with bumper sticker slogans and things like that, okay? uh, Mike, yes. Here's a test case. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. 
Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Now again, I'm looking at kind of a naive handling of the notion that the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Instead of what I'm suggesting, a more carefully nuanced version of that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. Um, anybody off the top of their head, the collection of Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, what do we normally call that collection of chapters? Sermon on the Mount. Yes, Sermon on the Mount. Another good name for it is called the Discourse on Discipleship. Linnea, you were about to say that. That is why you are my favorite Bible student. <laughs> she did. Yeah. It's almost as if she's heard me teach and preach on the Sermon on the Mount before. Those kind folks in Kentucky put up with a lot of mediocre teaching and preaching <laughs> over the years. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 to 30, Jesus is in the middle of this section where he's going through some of the more, uh, some of the more um, f famous or more primary of the Ten Commandments. You know, do not lust, do not murder, things like that. And he says here in verse, Matthew 5, 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Show of right hands, everyone. <laughs> okay. All right. Exactly. Mike, say that a little bit louder for the group. What is Jesus trying to do here? He was making a point of how violent it is to be taken seriously. Yeah. So does he mean literally? No, I don't believe so. I don't think so. And what I was going to say a bit before, it, when you read, when you're trying to teach a class sometimes, and I'll read various Bible commentaries from various groups, and these are all learned men who uh, know the biblical languages, and you find exact opposite opinions. <laughs> right, yeah. Say the, uh, 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 once saved, always saved. Sure, yeah. They have yeah. exact opposite opinions on the, on the subject. And, you know, I, I take mine from the basic literal. They'll have some song and dance. If it disagrees with me, it's a song and dance. <laughs> yeah. but, and, That's how I feel. Yeah. yeah, well, the point being that people that are of good character, of scholarly, know the scripture well, and care about what it says and want to do the right thing before God can disagree strongly on important issues. Right. So where are we to say, well, God said it, therefore I believe it, and that's it. And I would certainly require some degree of humility on my part. I saw I had a couple of comments uh, back here, I think. Yeah. which is a more carefully nuanced reading than a hyper-literal, oh, Jesus said, cut off my hand, okay. Honey, grab the hacksaw. Yeah, okay, it's pretty graphic. Yeah, that's pretty tragic. Folks that will allow themselves to get bit by rattlesnakes. Yeah, that's another ball game there. Yeah. Okay, so 
I, lots of good discussion. Man, lots of good discussion today. I, we do need to roll on because Richard Scanio, bless his heart, he fixed this clock so it's now correct. So I don't have four extra minutes. I have those minutes on the clock. Is everything in the Bible, right? Old and New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, is everything in the Bible equally authoritative for you today? Seen some people say no. All right. If if you're not sure and you're on the fence, let's just do a little thought experiment here. Let's say, for example, you think to yourself, well, maybe, yeah, everything in the Bible is equally authoritative. All right, let me ask you this hypothetical question. Do you live under the law of Moses right now? Chances are you probably don't, because I know for a fact you have probably enjoyed some pork barbecue at some point, and I know you like bacon, and I know you like cheeseburgers. <laughs> okay, all right, we get it. And shrimp, yeah, right, all these other things, yeah, okay. All right, so let me ask this question then. If everything in the Bible is not equally authoritative for you today, why not? Why not? It's not your covenant. Guys, this is Mike, by the way. He's visiting us from Wyoming. He's a friend of a friend. So, glad to have you with us. It's not my covenant, okay? Uh, anybody else? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, since Jesus came and went the new covenant to replace the old covenant, kind of like takes out the whole old covenant part of the equation. There are certainly things that Jesus, it doesn't seem like Jesus expects us to follow anymore. Definitely other things that he does, one of the greatest commandments, right? He quotes Old Testament. But yeah, Jesus fulfills that covenant. It's fulfilled. Yes, ma'am. We do have it there for our learning. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Paul describes it as like a schoolmaster, a tutor, or something like that. When you say military publications, it always references that if there is a debate, it says which document supersedes the other. Sure. Yeah. So this is as a case of the new government supersedes. I think so. I, I think that is the right way to read it. So the, old, the New Testament progresses beyond some things in the Old Testament. All right, so here are some examples. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10, okay? Acts chapter 10. Peter, Peter is there. Peter is there. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. Peter is praying, and he sees this vision About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, so these are the guys who are coming to see Peter that he doesn't know about yet, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry, wanted something to eat. While he was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and then he sees a vision. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it there were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air, then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. Okay, so the voice, Peter has correctly identified the voice in this vision. By no, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. 
Then the voice said to him a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Something about Peter needing God to tell him to do something three times. Poor Peter. Gets, you'll deny me three times. Peter, at the end of the Gospel of John, Peter, do you love me? Asks that question three times. Peter, three times. Okay. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah, that's, it's biblical. Yeah, it's biblical. Mark is, uh, Mark is after us, too. All right, so Peter's confused about this. Well, that, this is a way to get Peter thinking about why on earth would God tell him to embrace something that Gentiles do? Only for a Gentile to show up on his doorstep and say, uh, okay, we, we were sent here by God. All right, turn now to Acts 15. Acts 15. The, the Holy Spirit fell on an uncircumcised Gentile, Cornelius. Peter's in the middle of preaching. <laughs> Sometimes preachers are a little long-winded. And the Holy Spirit moves before Peter's even ready to finish. And then Peter finally gets the message. You know? Praise God for Peter, because they're a hope for people Amen. like him who are a little slow sometimes getting the message. Peter's like, oh, uh, uh, these, what prevents these guys from being baptized? So they, that has happened. And a lot more has happened since then where the gospel is now coming to uncircumcised Gentiles. And now we find ourselves in Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Verse 19. James and other apostles there in Jerusalem have discerned that... Gentiles do not need, Gentile males do not need to be circumcised. Faithfulness to Jesus, which then manifests itself, of course, in baptism, filled with the Holy Spirit, etc. Faithfulness to Jesus is what, is what is sought after here. Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication. Right, that's sex with anyone with whom you are not married and from whatever has been strangled and from blood meaning you know, kind of there's a lot of discussion about what it, what's going on with these verses but the notion here is that blood of animal sacrifices was used in weird ways for pagan sacrifices so they're saying cut all that stuff out for in every city for generations past Moses has had those who proclaim him he's been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogue all right Christians are not bound by the same food laws as Jews are. So the bottom line here, this is just two brief examples, right, as we near our time. Is everything in the Bible equally authoritative for you today? No. Many commands in the Bible are not directly relevant for us. There's a lot of food laws and other particular laws about kinds of clothes you wear and like what happens in your house if you find mold and strange stuff like that in the Old Testament. That, a lot of those kinds of ritual things Christians are no longer bound by. Slavery ownership. Oh, that's the next one. God's revelation to humans also progresses. Let's take marriage, for example. Take marriage, for example. Adam and Eve. That's not what I meant to do there, Sean. Sean, I'm going to write your name on the board for that. Um, and if you didn't hear what Sean said, that's okay. 
marriage. Marriage is what brings us together. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Joe, you beat me to it there. God created marriage as a partnership between a man, a man and a woman. Garden of Eden. There it is. God's view for marriage. Now then, what are, the, what are some other, or what is another marriage arrangement that we see some of the Old Testament patriarchs have? Polygamy. Multiple spouses, particularly multiple wives. Yeah. God, it is clear that God permitted that, allowed it. But I don't see anywhere in Scripture where God is especially happy about this in the Old Testament. He allows it. He permits it. There were a number of uh, reasons why this was sometimes a helpful arrangement for people. God permits multiple spouses in Old Testament times, but then as you travel through the years and centuries, and you get, again, back to Jesus, what arrangement does Jesus affirm for marriage? One man and one woman. Okay. And so that revelation, what God permitted in the Old, in the Old Testament times, what God permitted, again, Jesus looks back and reaffirms, okay, Maybe what has been permitted in the past, God's vision was this. And so there was a progression of what God's faithful people would do. Sean mentioned slavery earlier. The New Testament letters, the New Testament letters indicate that some Christians owned slaves. Now, there's a lot of differences. There's a lot of real differences in the ancient world slavery and what the American institution of slavery was. In the ancient world, it was not at all racially based. But in the ancient world, it was still every bit as brutal. Still every bit as brutal. New Testament letters clearly indicate that some Christians owned slaves, but if you read the short letter of Philemon, Paul's letter of Philemon, to this slave owner named Philemon, there's a beautiful line in there where you begin to see Paul gently moving Philemon towards perhaps a more righteous direction when he tells Philemon, hey, this runaway slave that I connected with, receive him back. Not as a slave, but more than a slave, as a brother in Christ. That sets a whole different trajectory and where eventually 1700 years later you have Christians leading the abolitionist movements starting in places like in Britain eventually over here in the new world you have Christians leading the charge saying this kidnapping oh by the way in the book of Revelation there is a list of charges against the Roman Empire, and it mentions kidnapping and slave trading. Whew. That stings. Jesus' unique authority in interpreting Scripture is really where I want to camp out, or uh, really the thing that I want to end with this morning. Is Scripture authoritative for us today as Christians? Absolutely. 
And Jesus shows us how Scripture is authoritative. Jesus shows us how Scripture is authoritative. He is uniquely qualified as God in the flesh. He's uniquely qualified to interpret Scripture as God intended it to be interpreted and applied. And so I think it's fair to give priority to what Jesus gave priority to. He cites Old Testament verses from the prophets. What does God require? What does God desire from us? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Love the Lord your God. Love their wholehearted devotion. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul and the other apostles are also uniquely qualified to show us what does that look like at certain times and in certain places. And the trajectory that those guys set us on, again, like we talked about last week, with the Holy Spirit speaking through them, the trajectory that those guys set us on continually directs us onward and upward toward Christ-likeness. We're at three minutes past. Really appreciate y'all's time this morning. Bottom line is this. Yes, Scripture is authoritative, and it is Jesus and the apostles who show us how it is so. Thank y'all very much.